What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. He had to get to a point where he he was never going to see them again, where he thought that he was never going to see them again. He had to get at some point over the last 9, 10, 11, 12 years that, that he finally gave up ever seeing his family again. Joseph has been in Egypt now for several years. In fact, we're past the seven years now of, of plenty. That, what Clayton talked about last week with the dreams that were interpreted. And in chapter 42 now, this week, we're, we're seven years forward now. So it's been seven years since then. He spent two years in prison. Uh, he's probably at Potiphar's house, like, or Potiphar's, yeah, Potiphar's house for probably 11 years or so. So we're talking... 11, 13, 20 years now that, that Joseph has been gone. Joseph has been gone now for 20 years. I wonder at one point, was he just like, I, I, this is never, I'm, I can never go back to my family. I can never return back to a place where I was, where this is just how it's going to be for the rest of my life. And then we have chapter 42 come crashing in where all of these storylines converge in one, where we finally start to see how God is moving and, and it, all these different chess pieces together for his glory, for his good. And it, in the implications in 42, the implications here, the implication of, of, of Joseph's story right here goes far beyond just Genesis. It doesn't end. Joseph's story and the implications of Joseph's story doesn't end at chapter 50 when Genesis is over. It has far-reaching implications that even reach all the way to us today. Think about it. Well, you know what? We're not going to get to that right now because we got to get through the story before we can go back to say, look at everything that God did. Look at how far he took all of this to rescue his people. And so we, we look at the story and we're like, man, I, I can't believe what just happened. And, and there's these chance encounters with people that you thought you were never going to see again. That happened to me. Um, back in May, I was, I, was, uh, I was on a hike with my son. We did this like three-day hike. And my dad was there, my father-in-law, a good friend of mine, and, and his child, uh, his teenager. I guess I, at what point do we stop saying teenager and just start saying or stop saying child and start saying teenager. I don't know. Anyway, we're all on this hike together, and uh, we're hiking the North Country Trail in 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 northern Michigan. And um, it's a it's a. I think we left on a Monday on on Memorial Day, and then we got done on Wednesday. And so we're doing this hike. And the first day, we pass some people on a trail. And do you ever see somebody where you're like, wait, I. 
I know you. <laughs> I know you, but I, this is not how I know you. Like, what are you doing here? And I didn't say anything because I'm an introvert and that's how I do things. Uh, but I'm, I'm walking this trail and some people pass by and we make eye contact and I kind of just nod. Uh, I look a little bit different, I guess. Now he looks no different. He looks the exact. It's a guy that I used to work with in the AV industry. Uh, what, 10, 10 years ago now? I mean, it's been, yeah, probably 10 years ago now. And, and I just, we, we, I passed him. I was like, that was Aaron. I, I, I think that was Aaron. I, and, and, and just in this remote part of northern Michigan, how in the world did we cross paths? Somebody from Grand Rapids still lives in Grand Rapids. And, and we pass on the path. And again, I didn't say anything to him. I didn't turn around and be like, Aaron? You know, like that, that would have been like in the movies. That would have happened. And he would have been like, Brian? Or he'd been like, who are you? <laughs> right? And, uh, but but I, I saw him and, and just like your mind is blown when these people come into your lives that you haven't thought about in so long in, in, in the most random place on a trail in northern Michigan on Memorial Day. Just was, was wild. Anyway, that's what we have. This is the encounter that we have in Genesis 42. There's a little bit of a family reunion uh, that happens here, unbeknownst to one of the parties, that it is a family reunion. So we're going to get rolling with it. I know I just spent, you know, four minutes talking about meeting a random person uh, on a trail, but we're going to get rolling in it here in Genesis chapter 42. If you've got a Bible, if you're not driving, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, and, and, and again, you're not driving, we encourage you to open up your Bible. Uh, I read from the ESV. Clayton last week read from the NLT. Uh, whatever, whatever one makes sense for you, it's good. Um, go for it. I like to use the ESV, just a personal preference of mine. Um, you can use NIV, NLT, ESV. You can, you, you can go KJV if you want to, or if you want to understand a little bit more, go uh, New King James Version if you want to. Anyway, open up your Bible. Uh, read with us, follow along, because you can make notes, you can highlight, you can do whatever you need to do right in the, in the margins. Um, we think it's important for you to bring your Bible. So, chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? Why do you, what are you doing looking at one another? Jacob is, is talking about, hey, there's grain for sale in Egypt. You guys better go get some of that grain in Egypt. And the brothers immediately, when, when Egypt is mentioned, they know. Oh, they, they, they're aware. Their brother Joseph, when they sold him to those Midianite traders, they, they, he, they probably were, yeah, he's, he's probably heading to Egypt. And so I, I just imagine that anytime Egypt gets brought up in front of the brothers, there's this side-eye glance, like, should we tell them how to, like, is our past coming back to haunt us already? The brothers have been living with this for 20 years. Now, I don't feel sorry for them because they did this to themselves, but they are, are living with this, this guilt for 20 years now where they sold their brother into slavery, assuming he went to Egypt. And so anytime Joseph gets brought up from, from dad, from Jacob, uh, because Joseph was the favorite, I, I'm sure it brings back ugh, some guilt and they try to hide it and they've gotten pretty good at hiding it. But at this one, he mentions Egypt and he hears that there's grain for sale in Egypt. So he tells the sons, hey, go to Egypt and get some, some grain. And, 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 and he must have seen the look of confusion. He must have seen the look of like, oh, Egypt, boy, I don't know. And, and, and seeing the brothers kind of looking at each other like, what do we do here, right? Like, I, you can see it in a movie. How, what, what, do we, what do we do now? He's telling us to go to Egypt. We know 
pretty sure our brother's somewhere probably in Egypt. This might get weird. And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten, good, good thing to do, live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. So he's transferred his favorite thing to the, the next son. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Famine is in the land. There's, there's desperation here. Um, Benjamin probably right now wrapped in bubble wrap. <laughs> He's probably wrapped in bubble wrap. Remember, uh, Jacob, if you can go back, we, we talked about this and why this family. I know we want to forget that series, but let me just go back for a moment. Jacob had married Rachel after he had married Leah uh, because Rachel was the favorite one. He just got tricked into marrying Leah at first. Uh, Rachel was the one he really loved. She only gave him two sons. Joseph and Benjamin, and they are his beloved sons. They are the sons, like, that he, the, these sons mean more to him than anyone else. And so I can only imagine at this point that Benjamin is, is probably a bubble boy at this point, Seinfeld reference. Uh, he's, he's wrapped in bubble wrap because he's got to keep him safe. So he sends just 10 of the sons, the 10 that he doesn't care about, let's be honest. He say, you 10, you go get the grain in Egypt. I'm going to keep Benjamin with me because last time uh, you guys went far away, one of you didn't return, and it was my favorite son. And so he, he sends them to, uh, to Egypt, which is something that would have never happened. He would have never, if, if there was no famine in the land, that would have never happened. The brothers would have never gone to Egypt if there was no famine in the land. And that brings us to our very first point all, already. It brings us to our very first point. You're like, yes, we're almost done. No, we're not. Uh, famine drives need. Famine drives need. Think about this. Nobody comes to church on a winning streak. Very few people come to church for the very first time on a winning streak. Usually something drove them there. Not the core. <laughs> Good one. Dad joke. Uh, but it's, 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 it's something in their life made them feel like they had to show up at church. I've had guys show up at, at things and they're like, I, I, I've got nowhere else to turn. Church is almost a last resort for things. Famine drives need. When you are feeling empty, when you're feeling tired, when you're feeling like there's, there's no other resources around you, that's typically when we hit our knees, isn't it? Because famine drives needs. And you wonder all the time, like, oh, why is this in my life? Why is this in my life? Why, why am I struggling with this? Why is this such a hard thing for me? I, why, gosh, why, why is COVID so, so rampant again right now? What's going on? Do you know what happens is people in need turn back to God. They turn back to God. Famine drives need. Famine drives need. Let's, I, I got to keep going, but we have to keep that in mind. Nobody shows up to church on a winning streak. Famine drives need. If you're here, if you feel like you're in a famine, you're probably right where God wants you. And he's trying to teach us something through this famine that we find ourselves in. Famines happen all the time. Personally, not always a global famine, but personally we have famines. And, and typically when I'm feeling a little bit dry, when I'm feeling a little bit wore out, when I'm feeling tired, there's a famine going on and God is trying to get me back with him. These spiritual famines that we face, God is trying to get us back towards him, trying to get our attentions. And sometimes it takes a famine for us to, to, to recenter and focus on him again. 
and it causes us to do some drastic things. Like I said, we're in a famine here in Genesis 42. Had there not been a famine, these brothers would have never reunited. It just it wouldn't have happened. And there's beautiful redemption that's going to happen, not even this week, but later on. All right. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Now does that sound familiar? The brothers all show up, 10 of them anyway, show up with their faces to the ground and bow down to who? Who are they bowing to? Joseph, if you missed it, it was in, it was in the very first chapter, uh, not of Genesis, that's creation, but in the very first chapter of what we were doing with detours and delays, uh, 39, and, um, and Joseph tells his brothers about this dream, right, that they're all stocks of grain, and they're going to bow before, uh, that, that they're going to bow before uh, Joseph, and this is exactly what happens, God can use our intentions for his purpose. God can use our intentions for his purpose because, listen, it, it wouldn't have happened this way had the brothers not sold their brother into slavery. Think, think about that. If, if, they, if, if, if Joseph wasn't the favorite child, if Joseph had never gotten that coat, if Joseph hadn't been put in charge of a supervisor position over his brothers, this would have never happened. The brothers would have never been angry with him. They would have never tried to murder him, and they would have never thrown him in that pit. They would have never rescued him and then sent him away to the, to the Midianite slave owners and, and the traders. Would have never happened. God can use our intentions for his purpose. God had a plan this whole time. And now we're seeing that plan start to come to fruition. The brothers now come unknowingly and are bowing before Joseph. It's exactly how Joseph predicted it. It's like the matrix when, uh, when the Oracle, right? The, the original matrix, the good one. Okay. I know there's another one coming out soon. My hopes aren't that high. It's Keanu Reeves again as John Wick, as Neo, as every single other action movie he's been in, okay? Sorry if I'm ruffling any feathers here, but the original Matrix, the one that was like, whoa, this is awesome, right? The Oracle, when she, when, when uh, Neo meets the Oracle for the first time and they're chatting and she's like, oh, and don't worry about the lamp. And he's like, what lamp? And he turns around and he hits the lamp, right? He hits it, knocks it over, and uh, the, the, the lamp breaks. And she said, that lamp right there. And he, she's like, now here's what's going to drive you crazy. Would you have still broken the lamp had I not said anything? And it blows your mind. It's like, oh, if, if she hadn't have said anything, he wouldn't have turned and hit the lamp and then caused it to crash. If, if, if Joseph hadn't have done any of these things, the brothers wouldn't have done those things. God's plan wouldn't have done exactly what it's doing now. I, I, it's too big for me to think about. I, I know I'm your pastor, but it's, it's too big for even me to think about. I just can't, I can't, I can't wrap my, my, my mind around it. God can use our intentions for his purpose. He's the ultimate chess player. He has final say on what's happening. We're, we're, we, we think we have all of this figured out. And we can con God and we can trick God into something. And then we always wind up at the same place that we were meant to be. Not always, but we have free choice. Okay, I'm not going to get into the free choice, free will, free. Are we free or not free? Chosen but free. Uh, there's a whole book. We're not going to talk about it. 
All I'm saying is God can use our intentions for his purpose. Okay, Brian, before we say anything else, let's just keep going. Verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. He's saying he's, he, he spoke in the same language, and he spoke harshly to them, but he spoke in, in, um, in the Egyptian language. I was going to sneeze. I think I'm good. Maybe. Uh, so he's, he's speaking not in Hebrew. He's speaking in... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. There it went. Okay. Um, we're so not polished here. Uh, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. It had been 20 years. Joseph is probably a little bit more tan, hanging out in the sun, you know, whatever. Shaved head, probably looks more like an Egyptian now. Um, And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. What, what, What was that about being honest men? What was that? I mean, come on. One of them is no more? Sometimes you you say a pat you say a line so often you start to to believe that lie. And I don't know, for the last 20 years they've just memorized that phrase in their mind. Uh there there's 12 sons, one of them is no more. 12 sons, one is no more. 12 sons, one is no more. So much so that you start to believe the lies that you tell yourself. But Joseph said to them, "It is as I said to you, you are spies. <clears throat> By this you shall be tested." By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. So the brothers are still lying about Joseph, and he's saying... um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to do this again. Led by the Holy Spirit, Joseph is, is, is moving in a way. This is not his idea. I think this is all coming from God. Like, he's going to make this plan of redemption happen. Sometimes we've got to eat a little bit of crow, right? Before we, we, we can get right back on the horse, before there's any type of reconciliation, Joseph has to know, are these guys changed men? What's the difference here? Are, is something going to happen? And, and, and what we can tell, like from what we can tell is the, the, the brothers seem to have changed at some point. It seems to be like some sort of change happening here. We're going to find out in the rest of the story, but <clears throat> man, we look back at, at everything that's happened with Joseph and the life of Joseph and now with the brothers. And, and this whole story, it just leads me to say this, this statement, that God's path is rarely straight, paved, and flat. We have this idea that, that God's path for us is going to be this, well, we think about it, right? Like, stay on the straight and narrow. Like, if I just stay on the straight and narrow, I'll be good. The problem is God's path isn't always straight. Now, before you, you, you start opening up your Bibles to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I've thought about that, okay? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and he will 
there's two different variations of this. One is in the NIV, the other one's uh, like the ESV says, uh, and he will make your paths straight. And so I, I wrestled that. Th- then the other translation says that he will direct your paths. Now that's the, the translation that I knew growing up, uh, is that he will direct your paths. And what the context of, of verses is saying in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is saying, God's going to direct your paths. He's not going to make them straight to you necessarily. He's going to make your path straight directly to him directly to what he wants. If you are following him and trusting in him, your path is going to lead directly to him, straight to him. Now, think about it this way. Okay, if I go on a trip and, and, I'm, and I'm traveling somewhere, let's say I'm going down south because everybody goes to Florida. And so let's say I'm going to Florida and uh, I'm not going to make any stops along the way. Okay, I'm going to say I'm going straight to Florida. Now, am I actually going straight all the way to Florida? No, there's there's curbs, there's there's different roads I have to. It's it, it's all over the place, right? There, there's there's cities I got to get through, lots of different interchanges that I got to get on and off, and but I'm headed straight there. So when it says that uh, that put all your trust in Him and He will make straight your paths, it means you're gonna go straight to God. Like when you lean on his understanding, on his knowledge, that he will make straight your paths, you're going, that was my, that was my King James coming out. Uh, it, it's, you're going straight to him. Because when I look at the context of this, especially with what's happening here with, with Joseph and, and this wild journey that he's been on, if we take the context of uh, he will make straight your paths, Joseph wouldn't have been sold into slavery. He wouldn't have been in that pit. He wouldn't have been accused of rape. He wouldn't have been sat in prison for two years. Like, that's not the straight path. The straight path is I accept Jesus as my Savior, and then I live a life to him. And we get this idea that once we become Christians, like, oh, it's just this easy thing. Because we look at verses like that, and we look at phrases that we have, like stay on the straight and narrow, right? And and we think that it's just going to be so much easier, but God's path is rarely straight, it's rarely paved, and it's rarely flat. There's going to be curves all along the way. There's We're going to stumble. We're going to hit our toe. We're going we're, we're to have to climb up some mountains. A, a friend of mine, she, she um, does a whole lot of work for restoration, just kind of behind the scenes. She does all of our outreach stuff. Her name is Belle. She um, she just took a trip, like a six-week trip, uh, and she went on this trail thing in Europe somewhere. I don't I don't know everything, okay? Uh, from France to Spain. I don't, it was somewhere in there. And the path had a lot of ups and downs. When I went hiking back in, in May, it, there were lots of ups and downs that I had to go through. You have to see, you know, like the, the, the path is is not an easy path, but it's the right one, and it will lead you straight to God. But it doesn't mean the path is straight. See, when the path is straight, I can put the car in cruise control. I hardly even have to think about where I'm going. When I go from one destination to the next, I've driven a hundred times. Like, it's just like, oh, I know where I'm going. And you don't even think about it. Have you ever had that where you put your brain on cruise control and you're driving along and then like all of a sudden you like wake, not wake up, but kind of wake up and like, wait, how did I get to where I am right now? I don't remember driving through any of those lights. I hope I didn't drive poorly. Like, has that ever happened to you? And you just, you put your, your, your mind on autopilot and you just, you, you don't even think about it anymore until something like startles you. Um, and then, oh man, I got to get focused again. Like if our path to God was just a straight path, no curves, nice and easy, like we would be on, on cruise control the entire time. 
without anything. But man, <laughs> we know life is not that way. And we look in the Bible and we see Joseph's life wasn't that way. Heck, Jesus' life wasn't that way. The, the, the path is difficult. The path has ups and downs and twists and turns and, and sometimes you're going to scrape your knee. His path is straight towards him. All right. I think I said that one enough. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. So the brothers are in prison here. He's putting them in prison. They're in custody. Uh, they're all together. They've been in custody for three days. I have to recap that because I just spoke for so long. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. You want to get out of prison? Do what I say. <laughs> That's basically what Joseph is saying. You want to get out of this prison? Here's what you got to do. You willing to do it? Are you willing to do the work? And friends, I, I don't want to belabor this, but Jesus is telling us the exact same thing. We find ourselves confined in our own prisons of our own selfish act of the flesh, whatever it is. And Jesus is like, you want to get out of prison? I, I beat this in three days. You, you want to get out of prison? Do what I say. Abandon the flesh. Focus on me. And I'm going to make straight your path towards me. You want to get out of prison? Feel like you're stuck. These walls are closing in, whatever it is. Man, we got to look up. We got to look at Jesus and see where he's leading us. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? Yeah, okay, Reuben. But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So a little bit quirky what happens here, but the brothers somehow make this connection that, that what's happening to them right now had to do with what they did 20 years ago to Joseph. That, that guilty conscience is as prevalent now as it was 20 years ago. It has not left them. So much so that they're making the jump that you guys were in prison in Egypt because, because we sold Joseph into slavery. He was basically a prisoner. Can't you see that that's exactly why this is happening to us? And then Reuben's like, I tried to tell you guys not to do this. It's like, Reuben, shut up. You, you'd said that we shouldn't th murder him, but we threw him in the pit. Like, that wasn't really helping. And he's like, you know, Reuben, oldest brothers, whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and so they have this, like, this, this reckoning, this awakening, like, oh my God. Goodness, this is this had to have been why. And so Joseph sees all of this happening before him. And again, we see why this happened in the first place, why Joseph put them in prison, why he's putting them through this test, so that Joseph can see their reconciliation, so that Joseph can see that these guys are actually remorseful for what they've done. They're actually having some tears. They're, they're regretting what they did 20 years ago and that this is still on their conscience. And that's why he starts weeping because he sees that these brothers are changed men. But he's not ready to give up his identity yet. 
Fool me once, strike one. Fool me twice, strike three. Michael Scott. All right. Um, the brothers are making this connection, and, and here's what I have to say about that is a guilty conscience makes connections. When something bad is happening to us, we're like, <laughs> if we have a guilty conscience, it's like, okay, I, I know why this happened because of the sin that I was in, the, the thing that's, and I, you might not be wrong. I, I, you, you might not be wrong. Sometimes that guilty conscience is there for a reason. It's not necessarily a bad thing. They, they're reminded that this guilty thing, like this thing that they did a long time ago, it, it made a connection for them somehow. We don't really see where the connection is at. We can kind of maybe hypothesize where they saw the connection, but we don't really know. But a guilty conscience makes connections. It, it hap- it, when we think about the things that we've done, and then when something bad happens to us, it's like, I, I know exactly why this is happening. It's because of this thing that I did. When we feel guilty about things, it just, it, it, it keeps us up. And, and everything's a connection to it, right? There's a, a, a funny story that I read on the internet, so it's probably true. Um, the IRS received a letter from a guy with a $100 bill saying, uh, I cheated on my taxes, here's $100. And then the rest of the note said, if I still can't sleep at night, I'll send you the rest of what I owe. <laughs> he couldn't sleep at night because of uh, he had he had he had uh, cheated the IRS. Probably not something you want to do. And a lot, of, and so he's like, "Boy, I'm going to send him a little bit of money. If I can sleep, that'll be good enough. But if I can't sleep, I'm going to send him the rest of the money." A guilty conscience makes connections. It's like, "Oh, I can't sleep because I feel bad about this. I I can't do that because I feel bad about this." It really restricts us. A guilty conscience can really hold us back from what God. God is calling us to do. It can enslave us. A guilty conscience can enslave us, which is why the power of the cross is so important. The power of the cross is so important because we have this, this guilty conscience and we know what we've done, but then we look at the cross and be like, but Jesus died for that. Jesus rescued us from that. I don't have to live in this guilty conscience anymore and I can move forward in freedom. Clayton talked about freedom last week. We can move forward in, in, in freedom in what Jesus has done for us. It's, it's beautiful, you guys. It's so beautiful. When we let go of those guilty consciences, we don't have to make these connections anymore, and we just live in the freedom of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And if you haven't experienced that, I, 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 I implore you to look into what Jesus has done for us, that he died on the cross for us, and he rose again so that we don't have to have these guilty consciences anymore. And we have a relationship with him. We can bring all of our burdens to him with. Are you tired of that guilty conscience? Verse 25, And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give, him them, give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. Joseph does an amazing act here. And it, and it resembles Jesus. It, 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 it's foreshadowing of what Jesus does for us. Joseph, they had paid for, for this grain. They had gotten all this grain, and Joseph didn't accept the payment. This is a free gift to the brothers who are guilty. 
It's a free gift to the brothers who are guilty. Joseph is like, I'm just going to give this back to him. Not only is he going to give it back to him, but he's going to give them more. He's going to give them provisions for the journey. It's going to be a long road back to get back to the land of Canaan. It's, it's going to be a few days journey. Here's some provisions. Here's some bread. Here's what you need to get back. And I'm giving you everything else that you thought you had to pay for. I'm giving it all to you. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He, he looks at the, the, what we've done, and he's like, I, I'm, I, I paid it already. Your debt's paid. I paid it on the cross. Not only that, I'm going to give you an abundant life. I'm going to give you something for this journey so that you can go on this road. You can take this trip, whatever's going on, that winding path that you're going to be on following me that, that's filled with, with rocks and, 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 and hills and valleys. I'm going to give you something for this journey so that even while you're on this difficult path, you will have an abundant life. That's possible through Jesus. And that's what's happening here with them is Joseph is like, guys, I'm, I'm giving you something. He's not telling them, but he's, he's, he's willing to give them this. Why is Joseph acting this way? The clue is in Genesis 41, actually. If we go back a chapter in verse 38, this is Pharaoh talking. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God talking about Joseph? He knows that the Spirit of God is in Joseph. So we see the Holy Spirit working in Joseph through this entire story of chapter 42. This is not done. This is not all Joseph's idea. The Holy Spirit is working through Joseph to do all of these things. It's putting in motion all all of these things so that there can be reconciliation, which is exactly how the Holy Spirit moves in us. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, sorry, that's my KJV coming through, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. These guys haven't repented to Joseph yet. They haven't done that yet. They're still in their sin. They still have their guilty conscience. While they were still in their sin, Joseph provided them with everything that they possibly needed and gave them what they needed. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the good news is that you don't have to get all fancied up, dressed up, polished up to come to him. He knows you're broken. He knows what you've gone through. He knows your past. And he still invites us in. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to get clean before you come to him. You come to him and he makes you clean. Okay, we got more verses to go through and I'm, I'm running short on time. And one of, as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. And they turned, trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Again, it's that guilty conscience. They're like, ah, What do we do? This is not good, guys. This is, we have money in our, like, why didn't you pay him? He already thinks we're spies. He already thinks we're bad. Now we have this going on. This is a test of the heart. How are they going to respond? See, this is, this is a, a test of the heart. The prideful heart would have said, yeah, I, I deserve that. I deserve this money. It was a long journey. Prideful heart is going to think it's deserved. A deceptive heart would have hit it kept it away from everyone else. A lying heart would have just made up a story about it. 
Yeah, hey, you I don't know what happened. I just I thought I gave it to him and then he gave it you just you lie about it to try to cover it up. These guys have a scared heart. They had guilty hearts. Sometimes the grace and mercy and love of Jesus scares us. Because we know we don't deserve it. 29, when they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this shall I know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. They're finally telling the truth. The last time they they left and a brother didn't come home with them, they told a whole bunch of lies to a grieving dad. This time they tell the truth except for the one thing about the one is no more. They're still holding on to that truth, that lie. Uh, But we're starting to see the change in the brothers, aren't we? What happened 20 years ago to what's happening now? They could have lied. They could have said a lot of things, but they, they didn't. I think it goes back to the point of famine drives need. They, they had this encounter, and now they're finally telling the truth about a missing brother to their dad, something they didn't do 20 years ago. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons. Whoa! Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. <laughs> How does that feel if you're one of the brothers? Like, ugh, dad doesn't even count as his sons? Like, what? He's the only one left? Oh, he's the only favorite son you have left. I got it. Okay. You look at this, and, and, and Jacob is believing the lie that was told to him. His whole life is centered around this lie that's been told to him for 20 years. And I look at that, and I'm like, man, how sad. Jacob doesn't know the truth, that there's a son that's alive, that's his. But we can flip that and look at ourselves and be like, oh, well, what lies do you believe about yourself? What lies do you believe about, about God? That's the end of the chapter. That's where the chapter ends, is Jacob believing these lies and making decisions based on those lies. So what lies are you believing about yourself? That you're not good enough, that you, uh, you failed in the past, that, or what lies are you believing about God? That he won't take you as you are? That he's not good, that he's not loving, that he's not merciful, that he's not graceful, that he's not just? What's that baggage that you're, you're carrying? 
See, we, we, we carry this, this, this baggage with us everywhere we go. And on this journey in life, we feel like we have to be the ones that's carrying that baggage. I go on walks with my kids sometimes. This is especially when we were younger. And especially when we're on vacation and stuff, we're, we're traveling along the beach or whatever, taking walks, and we've got a bag with us. And, and inevitably, my kids love collecting rocks. I don't know why. They just they love collecting rocks. And they would pick up a rock, and they would put it in the bag. And that's cool at first, right? But I've got four kids. And by the end of it, man, one rock is fine. Two rocks, good. Five, whatever. Ten, you're starting to feel it. Twenty, you're like, we need to start getting rid of some of these rocks. By 30, you're just, you're hunched over and barely walking because you've got all these rocks in your backpack, right? You're just walking around with all these rocks in your backpacks. And I think that's how we live our lives sometimes with these guilty consciences. And we just are carrying this backpack of all of this crap that we've been holding on to for so long because we believe the lie that we're not good enough. We're not good enough for freedom. We're not good enough to to have God love us anymore. So we keep carrying this backpack of all this shame and all this guilt and all the stuff that we've ever done. And we internalize all of it and we just carry it and we're getting tired and worn out. And some of us are starting to look weird because we're walking like this and it just, uh, it, it starts to wear us down. We see Jacob carrying this this backpack of weight. The brothers have been carrying a backpack of weight for 20 years. But we go back to Romans. A very, very important verse. That God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My last point is this, and this is the most important point. If you're going to write anything down, if you're going to pause anything, like stop driving, pull over to the side of the road, write this down. Jesus wants our past, present, and future. He knows your past. He knows your present, and he knows your future. He just wants you to give him that backpack the things of your past that you're holding on to, all this crap that you've been holding on to in your backpack for so long, he, he just wants to give it, or he, he just wants you to give it to him. So you can walk lighter. Jesus wants our past, whatever that is that you're holding on to in your past, that you're not allowing yourself to forgive yourself for, whatever's happened to you that you can't let go of, Jesus wants to take that off your hands. Get that out of your backpack and watch you start walking a little bit lighter. I, this, this week has been stressful. We're, we finally closed on the house that we were selling and um, it, it, it was a long process. It really was. And, and, and the weight of stress and anxiety was heavy un, until it was finally done. And then it, like you get that moment, you're like, Oh, I can breathe again. I can, I can finally rest. I can finally do whatever. Man, I wasn't sleeping well because of this one thing. I can't, I can't imagine my entire life like having all this stuff all around me all the time. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about my past. I'm thinking about the things that I've done in my life. I'm not giving it over. I'm holding on to this backpack. I'm not sleeping. Uh, 
And then worrying about what's going to happen today. How am I going to take care of this thing today? What's in front of me today? And then looking at the future. How am I going to pay for kids' college? What am I going to do for a job? How am I going to, like in this economy, are we going to be able to survive? What's going to happen with COVID? And Jesus is just standing there being like, my arms are big enough. Let me take it from you. Would you hand it over to him? Jesus is ready and willing, and he wants our past, our present, and future. I won't be able to walk on that road, be on that road. That's curvy and windy and full of surprises. It's kind of a dumb analogy, but it's what I thought of. Um, I was thinking about a gyroscope, uh, specifically the one in Jurassic World. I know this is getting really specific, but the fourth film in the franchise, uh, in Jurassic World, there's these two kids that are, they're on these like gyroscope ball things. And uh, in the movie, you're able, you're supposed to be able to just go on these gyroscope things, the ball's moving, but you stay right fixed. Uh, and you can watch all the dinosaurs and whatever. Inevitably, what happens, because the plot has to keep going, is they go off the beaten path, and then they, uh, despite, you know, there's no safety measures, I guess, you can just go wherever you want. They go off the beaten path, and then dinosaurs start fighting, and they get all thrown around. But as they're getting all thrown around, they're staying still. Like, the, the ball's moving all over, they're bouncing all over the place, everything is happening all around them, but they're still upright, staying still, going straight, whatever's happening, they aren't twisting all around. And I liken that to, like, we need to just be in that gyroscope. Life is going to hit us from either side. Life is going to throw us overboard. Life is going to, the dinosaurs are going to be fighting all around us. And I guess maybe the analogy breaks down a little bit. But but we're still in the center of that gyroscope, right in the center of God's will. And it's straight. And our eyes are fixed on him. And the whole world is going crazy. There's chaos all around us. And people look at us and be like, how are you calm in this? It's like, I don't feel it, man. Yeah, sure, these attacks are coming, but I'm still just centered on Jesus, centered on what he has for me. I don't feel the attacks. I don't feel the hits because, sure, I'm getting knocked off course here and over here a little bit, but I'm still just focus, these winding trails, whatever's going on, like I, I'm, I'm feeling, I see them, I, I see them all around me, but I have that peace. Like the Bible talks about having a peace that passes understanding and having an abundant life, and, and, and that's done through Jesus Christ. No matter what happens, you're in this little gyroscope, and it's, you're just standing upright. So what are you in? Are you in one of those old school Jeeps that the Tyrannosaurus knocks over? Or are you in the new and improved gyroscope that nothing can get to you until the dinosaur breaks in and, you know, whatever. Are you willing to let Jesus have your past, your present, and your future? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for the love you have for us. God, thank you that you want our past. You want our present. You want our future. Help us to rest in those promises, Lord. Help us to unpack that backpack and and give it over to you. Jesus, it's in your name, the name, your name only, that we pray these things. Amen.